Would you turn with me to the book of Colossians? Let's recap where we've been for the last few weeks in the book of Colossians. Recenter ourselves on why these rules are important. If you think back and maybe turn to, let's just thumb through the book of Colossians. Look in the first chapter. Look at verse 17. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. This church right here, He is the head. The firstborn from the dead. The, the one and only, the, really the only, the final hope that we have is the resurrection. That's, that's it. That's, that's what we hope for. And He's the first. He led the way. Why? That in everything He might be preeminent. Jog down to verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this we toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within us. Look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so... Now, walk in Him. Conduct yourself in Him. Rooted in Him. Built up in Him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you've been risen with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. This is a command. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There again, our only hope, the resurrection. So because of this, verse 5, put to death. That which is earthly in you. And we have a long list. Verse 12, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And this is important. We cannot obey these house rules without first putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We can't do it without bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven us, so also we must forgive. And above all this, we put on love, which binds everything and everyone here together in perfect harmony. And we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we are called in one body. So again, it's talking about this group of people Here, now, in this church, in this family, we're called to live together in peace and harmony. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever you say, whatever your actions are, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then Paul could say, specifically, how do we do all of that? Wives, submit to your husbands 
as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. Four rules so far. Love. Submit. Obey. Encourage. Each rule, an action to take. Each rule, a mindset to assume. Each person in the household expected to obey each rule. Some in their own unique capacity. Each rule, so far, and we're going to see this continues to the end of the list, each rule modeled perfectly by Jesus Christ. We know how to do it. We've seen the example before us. Every one of these rules Christ modeled for us. Which is why their centrality, the centrality of these rules in our homes, equals Christ's centrality in our lives. Christ is not center in your life if these rules are not present in our homes, in this home. And... I hope that as you are putting these rules in practice, you are experiencing that peace that we see in verse 15 that we're all called to. I know I I can testify to that. I see, I see my children working hard at keeping these rules and I see a growing peace. I hope you see it too. I hope also that you're starting to see how these rules, if adopted, as heart and mind attitudes, how they really prescribe a formula for success in the, in any arena wherein God's children are operating together as a unit. Whether that's your small group, whether it's just brothers in Christ laboring together and sisters in Christ, whether it's this church as a whole, whether it's a ministry within this church, whether you are a servant, working in children's ministry, whether you're a ministry leader heading up a ministry, whether you serve on a board in some capacity outside this church, in the community, wherever you're serving with believers, whether it's in the home, wherever it is, these rules lead to peace. They lead to fulfillment. They lead to spiritual productivity. And that's why we're taking so much time. And now, this next rule that we're going to look at in verses 22 through 25. This next rule is a rule that perniciously flies in the face of our present cultural conventions. In more than one way, this fifth rule is, is, is a blister on the heel of emerging social expectations and conditioning. I'm going to explain where we see this at odds, but The rule is work. That's the rule. Great rule to have in every house. Cannot be overstated. When everyone in the house works, God is going to bless that house. I'm talking labor. Personal industry. I'm talking about the real four-letter word that people don't like. W-O-R-K. Work. We're going to see the Bible has a lot to say about work. Before we jump into that, I want you to think about the different avenues that you work, that you labor. Everyone here should be working. 
Some of you will be blessed to be paid by the work. (laughs) Not everyone will. Everyone should be working in the home as well. Children, you guys work 40 hours a week or more, probably more, if you go to school. That's serious work. And so how you treat your school right now is going to be how you treat your job. And uh, you will either succeed or fail at that. You will either honor the Lord or displease the Lord. Everyone here works, should be working. Everyone here is called to work. Uh, but let's, let's see what the Bible says about it. First, let's look in Colossians. Just briefly, let's look in Colossians. Verse 22, it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, I'm just going to touch on this for a second. Paul, Paul is not condoning slavery here. He, he's addressing a church that's embedded in a, in a nation, in a political situation that Paul has no control over at all. And he's just, he's recognizing that in this church there were going to be some slaves. Um, but the Bible does not condone slavery. Paul's mission was not to transform the Roman government. Um, we, and I'm going to address this the week after Easter when we finish the house rules the week after Easter. I'm going to address this more fully. Um, but just, just to be assured, in fact, one of the letters that Paul wrote, the entire purpose of the letter was in an effort to free a slave. We, we read in Revelation chapter 18, one of the greatest sins that is condemned, one of the great sins that is condemned by Babylon in the end times is that they are a dealer of human beings. They, human, they traffic humans. And so the Bible does not condone human slavery. And probably when you hear the word slave, especially as Americans, we, that probably hits our ear a little different than what was actually taking place in scripture. Regardless, we will address all of that um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, also note verse 25, it says the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. God will exact vengeance when mistreatment is done. We are assured of that. But we'll postpone that conversation for a couple of weeks. I really want to zero in on, look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. That's a command from God. Work heartily. And this does fly in the face of culture today, believe it or not. Your children, I assure you, are watching YouTube videos. Pop-up ads probably come up on your computer all the time. Maybe even text messages unsolicited that tell you how you can get rich without really even working too hard. I've seen, I just typed in, how do I get rich? In I saw seven secrets of, of self-made millionaires. Five ways to build wealth. Ten money rules that will make you rich. Fifteen steps to get rich. Uh, the fastest way to get rich in 2021, guaranteed. You want to get rich this year? Just click on that site. It'll tell you exactly how to do it. But behind all those, every single one of them is one of two things. Either they're telling you, here's how you get rich without really even working. Or they say, hey, you put in the work now, you work really hard, and then when you get rich, you don't have to work anymore. The whole point of it is to get away from the work. We also see a growing spirit of, I think, laziness in our culture. We, we see it here in Vincennes. People that are milkers, bilkers, potlickers. People want to benefit from the labor of other people that aren't willing to work at all. 
We see in America a growing spirit of envy, even being taught in universities um, that is exactly contrary to what we see in Scripture, the vilifying of people that have wealth. And I'm not saying every wealthy person is moral, but I am saying that just because a person has wealth does not mean that they are immoral. It doesn't mean that at all. And it is not, this is, I'm not an economist, but I know the Word of God, and I know that a person can gain wealth without making someone else a victim. That's not what our universities in America are teaching, and really it's a spirit of envy. So this is countercultural, this rule that we work, that our children work, that men and women work, that we work at the home. We work outside the home. We work in the church. But let's look. What does the Bible say about it? Let's do a kind of a quick biblical survey. And then, then we'll really kind of uh, unload Colossians chapter 3. But let's, let's do a quick survey. Maybe you can turn with me. Everyone knows Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know where that's at. What does it say? You can say it without even uh, turning there. But we're going to look at a couple other verses while we're there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first verb in Scripture is a word of labor, a word of work, a word of accomplishment. And then the first six days of the earthly existence, God provides us a permanent example of the primary occupation of work. He worked for six days. That's the first thing that we know that God did. He worked six days in a row. And you know, there's no anthropological reason at all why we have seven-day work weeks. They can't figure it out. They don't know why. But we know why, because we believe this book. And so one of the things the Bible says about work is that we work six days on, one day off. We see that taught then in chapter 2, in verse 2. Where it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And remember, we are made in his image. We're workers. And the example we have set right from the very beginning is six days on, one day off. Not five days on, not a weekend, not a three-day weekend. Six days on, one day off. And really that one day that you probably, or two days that you probably get off from your job, it's probably not enough time to get all the things you need to get done at the house. So I'm not saying get paid to work six days a week, but we work six days a week. That's what Scripture prescribes. And then you rest. Um, I, 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 this is just the standard human framework. I have long been under the impression that a person should earn their sleep at night. And I have a hard time, when I have been lazy and I haven't worked, I have a hard time justifying laying my head down on the pillow. We are to work. Um, we also notice, look at chapter 2, right there in Genesis, in verse 15. Look what it says. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. This, mind you, was paradise. 
Work is our blessing. In the perfect scenario, God planted God, uh, man in the Garden of Eden, a.k.a. the Garden of Pleasure. And he said, all right, now here's what I want you to do. Here's what you get to do. Work the garden. Work the garden. So many times we think of work as a result of the fall. It's not. We were put in the garden to work it. It is our blessing to work it. Um, Jonas Salk, he was a, an American virologist, virologist. I don't know how to say that. He made, he, he's a medical researcher who developed the first successful polio vaccine. And one of his known quotes is, the reward for good work is more work. When you're good at work, you enjoy working, and you will be blessed with more work. And only those that are good workers knows what that means. Uh, know what that means. So work is our blessing. Look also now, chapter 2 in the creation story is kind of like a zoom in. And chapter 1 is, a, is an expanded view of creation. If you'll notice that, it kind of repeats. But chapter 2 is the zoom in. Chapter 1 is the big overview. But let's go back to chapter 1 and look at uh, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, or let us make mankind in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the, on the earth. Not only is work our blessing, but work is our purpose. God put us here to work the earth, to have dominion over it. And notice the, the micro view and the macro view here. He says, work the garden. And if you're good at that, that you cannot have dominion over the whole earth unless you're working the garden. And, and, what, and, and they have to have dominion not only over the whole earth, but they have to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is talking about kind of the core purpose of man. Not the only purpose of man, but this is the framework in which man was planted. And if you are not successful in your home, if you don't have good family relations, you're never going to be able to be a part of the team that is having dominion over the earth. Dominion here meaning, remember, that God formed the earth out of a void, out of a chaos. And so to have dominion doesn't mean to, to waste the earth or squander the earth. It means we bring order to the chaos. We bring organization to the disorder. We bring mastery over that which is wild and untamed. And so work is a blessing. Work is our purpose. Um, we know in Second Thessalonians chapter, you could go ahead and turn back to, to Colossians if you'd like. Um, but in Second Thessalonians chapter um, 3 and verse 10, we see that we need to work for our food. That's a biblical principle and specific command. Let me read it for you, lest you doubt me. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, it says in verse 10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I believe this was famously used by the pilgrims. Paul says, Earlier he says, now we command you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
Listen to how serious this is in Paul's eyes. We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother or sister who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we are not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you, uh, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul was a hard worker. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, I thought about the elders that we are blessed to have in this church. And to a man, they are hard workers. And I know we have a lot of hard workers in this church. And we're blessed to have it. But I look up to our elders. I'm thankful that they set that example of hard work. Every one of them does way more work than what they get paid to do for their occupation. Some of them have more than one job. Uh, some of them put in almost as many hours as volunteers as they do getting paid. Some of them are just anxious to look and find work. But they're hard workers and they're a great example to you and to me. So, so far in this kind of overview, we see work. We need to work six days on, one day off. Work is our blessing. Work is our purpose. We work for our food. We work to prevent poverty. You can look through the Proverbs and find so many passages that emphasize work. We'll flash a few of these on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 23. Maybe you can jot down these references and read read through the Proverbs and, and, and every one of them. Just create a, a work ethic for yourself born out of Scripture. Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends to poverty. Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who... Uh, what does it say? But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 13.4 The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And you can probably find a dozen more just like it. We work to prevent poverty. And one last proverb. We work... Uh, I'm sorry. Work is honorable. It, it is not... A dishonorable thing to work. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So that that's a good biblical overview of work. And there's more to be had there, but we don't have time to go through everything. It'd be a study worth you doing on your own. But now let's zero in on Paul's specific instruction from Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. And here, I would just, I would like to kind of draw out, like water from a well, kind of a, a biblical mantra. Three truisms, uh, that will serve you well if you espouse them. Uh, they will be the rhythm and pace of your efforts measured by these three truths. These truths, will be the beat that drives the melody of your labor. So we're going to look at them. They're right there in the Word of God. They're easy to remember. You can just have them ringing in the back of your mind when work gets tough. Listen, I know. I know what it's like to work at a job you don't like. All of us have had those jobs. And maybe you're in that job now, and maybe this passage will be an encouragement to you. I know. I know how richly 
blessed I am to have a job that I love to do, that I love getting up every morning and going to do. And some of you are blessed with that as well. But not everyone is. Some of us have just a, a tough road to hoe, and this maybe will be a help to you. So this mantra, the first phrase I want to think about is, Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Look at it again in verse 22. Colossians chapter 3. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what drives you to be a good worker. The fear of the Lord is what drives you to work. And in this passage, we see, I think, a few phrases that brings out what it really means to fear the Lord. It's kind of a, it's a difficult phrase for us to wrap our minds around sometime. And that's a really full and in-depth study. And this won't capture everything, but this will get us closer to understanding, especially in this context, in the context of labor. This will get us closer to understanding what it means to fear the Lord. Look what he says. Three descriptors in how to fear the Lord. In the context of your work. Um, first one is not by way of eye service. Not by way of eye service. That is not fearing the Lord when you work by way of eye service. And I can think of maybe two general applications of this. First of all, when the appearance of a good job takes place of the substance of a good job. When you're doing only a good enough job that it looks observably qualified. Anyone here ever work in the food industry? You know, I worked in, that was my first job. You know what it means to work by eye service. I remember working at, and I don't think this is too disparaging because Golden Corral is not exactly top dining, but I used to work at Golden Corral and it wasn't anywhere here in the area, but I remember the things that I saw take place at Golden Corral would turn your stomach. I remember one time a guy had a steak off the grill and it fell. Oh, no, I know. He put white gravy on it. He was supposed to put brown gravy on it. So I was just the lowly dishwasher. You know, I had this big sprayer back there in the sink just would get full and full of all the grime from everybody's plates. And you'd have to reach in and throw it away because there was no disposal at the bottom of that thing. So he comes back to spray off the white gravy and he drops it right into that pile of goop. And he reaches in, sprays it off, runs it out. <sighs> I was like, okay, Josh is not going to cook for me anymore. Um, but that's a great example of eye service. Because coming on the plate, it looks brown gravy, looks right, looks like it's cooked. That's, that's eye service. And we've we got to be careful. We've got to guard ourselves. That's not fearing the Lord. It's not honoring the Lord. It's not respecting the Lord. When we do a work that only appears to be, to, to be right, I think another application of eye service is also when our effort is only exerted when our behavior is monitored. That's eye service. You only work at a certain level when you're being watched by those who have a say in how you're supposed to work. And that's not, that's not good. I remember, I think a good example of this when I was a child, I was one of those kids that hated to take baths. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I hated to take baths. And I remember my parents sending me to the bath and I'd be in there and I would, and, and so, okay, fine. I'm going to sit in the tub, but I'm not going to clean myself. And so I would play with toys and whatever. And then when I'd get out, I would get checked. You remember this? And I, and I learned 
that if I just washed my forearm with soap, then they would they'd say, let me smell you. And I'd go like this, and they'd smell the soap, and they would assume that I was clean. And um, that's a version of eye service where I'm only, I'm, I'm only doing it to please you. I'm not getting anything else done, but only what is required by those, and only when they are watching. And I remember, you guys were youth group leaders, and someone in the youth group figured me out somehow, and they ratted on me. Um, but that's another idea of eye service. Effort is only exerted when the behavior is monitored, when it is measured, when you're checked up on. That's, that's eye service that is not fearing the Lord. Here's another component of fearing the Lord right here in the passage. It says, not as people pleasers. People pleasers. And it seems like we should want to please our boss, but again, this is really close. This is, this is really helpful in figuring out whether or not we fear the Lord. If our aim is to please people, in the context of this church, in the ministries that you are involved in, what is your aim? If it is to please people, predominantly to please people, you're not fearing the Lord. Because Christ made it clear, he says, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And that's a principle that's true even in the workplace. We can't be people pleasers. We need to be God fearers. Josh, Joshua made this clear in Joshua 24 when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the old masters from across the river, those gods that you used to serve, or are you going to serve the Lord? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can only please one master. And the, the gracious thing is, and the, and the beautiful thing is that if you please the Lord, in most cases, your boss will be pleased with your work as well. It's never let me down. I'm not saying it won't ever. Sometimes you might have a wicked boss, but even then, you've got to choose who you're going to serve, God or man. So fearing the Lord means not by eye service, not as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Um, and you see that right there at the end of verse 22, with sincerity of heart. This is, this has always been God's intent. That He gets your heart. That He gets your service from the heart. That you're serving Him from the inside out. Sincerity of heart, that's the opposite of hypocrisy. And we know how Jesus treated the hypocrites. He unleashed on the hypocrites. There was no one that got more of his wrath than the hypocrites. And for fearing the Lord, we serve with a sincerity of heart. And Jesus made this clear. You could go through any number of passages of Jesus' teachings that emphasize how the sincerity of heart. When he said, listen, he took all the laws and he amplified them by zeroing in on the heart issue. He told the Pharisees, you look all nice and clean, but inside... Your, your dried up sepulchers, your old bones and decaying bodies. So again and again, you, you know the passages where Christ emphasized the sincerity of heart and that's getting at the fear of the Lord. And, and so this then brings us to the second phrase in our mantra to be good, diligent workers, not only fearing, not only fear the Lord, but also for the Lord. For the Lord. We see this in verse 23. Whatever you do, 
work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So as you're working and when the hours start to get long, when your boss begins to get unreasonable, when the task gets to be something that I'm not equipped for this, may may this mantra ring in your head, I am, I fear the Lord. I'm working for the Lord. I'm working for the Lord. And what quality of work do you want to serve the Lord? With what quality do you want to give Him your service? Um, Vince Lombardi has a great quote that I just learned this week or last week. Let me see if I can remember it. He said, of course he was a football coach. He said, we strive for perfection. Not that we can achieve perfection, but that in our striving, we acquire excellence. Good is not acceptable. That's a good quote. That has good spiritual implications. We strive for perfection. Not that we can achieve a perfection, but that in our striving, we acquire excellence. That, that's us serving the Lord. That's us working as for the Lord. That's us working um, heartily. Good enough is not good enough. Perfection is our aim. Excellence is our standard. And when we work heartily, we're working vigorously. We're working spiritedly. We're working passionately. And we know that we're serving Christ. We're working for Him. So, first phrase, fear the Lord. Second phrase, for the Lord. And now the third phrase in our biblical work mantra, from the Lord. And here we see it in verse 24. From the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance, at, the inheritance as your reward. From the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Now notice, the Lord isn't giving you wages. The Lord's not giving you wages. He says, you're, you're getting an inheritance from the Lord. And so the, the, the truth being brought up here is, your boss may be paying you, but your father has given you an inheritance that far outweighs any value that you can get from your employer. Therefore, aim to please him above all else because he's the one that's giving you your inheritance. So it's not just like you are serving the Lord, you are serving the Lord. And in serving him well, you serve your earthly masters well. So... Taking all this, really that, that mantra, fear the Lord, for the Lord, from the Lord, that, all of that really applies to any of these rules. That really zeroes in on what it means to fear the Lord. Basically, another way you can say fearing the Lord is just having a constant Godward focus. That's fearing the Lord, a constant Godward focus. And this then brings us back to where we start in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whether you're paid, you're unpaid. Whether it's your career or whether it's just a job. Whether you're at home, whether you're volunteering at the church, whether you're working outside the church, our work defined by fearing the Lord, fear the Lord, uh, for the Lord and from the Lord maintains His rightful centrality in all our labors and in our lives.